0: Today's reading is uh, Mark 15, uh, verses 21 and 39. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him, and the inscription of the charge against him read, the King of the Jews. And with him, they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, aha, who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days? Save yourself and come down from the cross So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true and given to us in love.
1: Well, good morning and happy new year to those of you who are here and those that are watching us virtually this morning. last week we started a new series looking at the gospel of mark backwards now some of you might be wondering why are we studying mark in reverse and i mentioned last week two reasons and i'm going to briefly mention those again this morning first whenever you read something familiar it's easy for us to kind of fly through it and when we do that we often miss things But if you've ever gone back and like read a psalm, like Psalm 139, in reverse, it's amazing the different things that you miss reading going forwards that you get when you go backwards. And so our hope is as we go back through Mark, this familiar text, this familiar gospel, that God will give you fresh eyes to see things that you hadn't seen before. Secondly, knowing the end, knowing that Jesus defeated sin and death and is alive, changes the way we experience the gospel of Mark. It takes the worst thing that can happen to us, and it gives us a new perspective. It offers us hope when we hear our name and cancer mentioned in the same sentence by a doctor. It offers us hope when your kids tell you that they no longer believe in Jesus. It offers you hope when the boy you like at school asks someone else out. Knowing the ending gives a perspective that brings hope in the darkest of moments. Now last week we started at the end of Mark where we were reminded of two things about the resurrection. First, the resurrection, it turns the world upside down. And then secondly, the resurrection defeats all Christ's enemies. Now, this morning, we're continuing our journey backwards as we look at Jesus' crucifixion in chapter 15, verses 21 through 39. And as we look at this passage, I want us to consider two things this morning. First, human forsakenness. And then secondly, God's forsakenness. Let me pray for us. Father, we're grateful this morning just for the privilege to gather in this place to worship you. We're thankful for the saints around the world that are gathering this morning to lift up your name. Lord, we pray for those who are watching online this morning, that you would take away the distractions of kids and others in the room and help them to focus on you this morning and what you have to say to them today. Lord, give us ears to hear your word this morning. And we pray that you'd encourage us that you transform us you'd set our feet on solid ground as we enter this new year 2022 and we pray this in the powerful name of jesus amen so if you have well we don't have bulletins so if you hope your bibles or your apps on your phone I encourage you to pull those out and we're going to be looking through this text and first i want us to consider human forsakenness now a few weeks ago I went to see Dear Evan Hansen at the Tanger Center. Now, the play, it's about a young man, Evan, who's extremely anxious. And because he's so anxious and awkward, he's been rejected by everybody in his school. He doesn't have any friends. And in the first song that Evan sings, he describes what it's like to be completely rejected and alone. I'm going to read two stanzas because I didn't think you'd want to hear me sing this morning. And those stanzas are, I've learned to slam on the brake before I even turn the key, before I make the mistake, before I lead with the worst of me. Give them no reason to stare, no slipping up if you slip away. So I got nothing to share, no, I got nothing to say. On the outside, always looking in. Will I ever be more than I've always been? Because I'm tap, tap, tapping on the glass. I'm waving through a window. I try to speak, but nobody can hear. So I'll wait around for an answer to appear. While I'm watch, watch, watching people pass, I'm waving through a window. Oh, can anybody see? Is anybody waving back at me? Rejection by our peers is a painful plight no matter how old we are. And I dare say that there's not one person here this morning that can't identify to some degree or another with the emotional pain of being forsaken by family, friends, or foes. The good news this morning is that you have a Savior who knows exactly how you feel and who sympathizes with you. Look at Look with me at verse 21. Mark writes, And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And so Mark is setting the stage. Jesus has already been convicted by Pilate. He's going, he's carrying his cross. He can't carry it any longer. And then here's this man, Simon of Cyrene, that we're introduced to, this passerby who had no desire to carry a cross, which would have been extremely embarrassing. And yet the guards, they compel him to carry the cross. And so he carries the cross nearby. And then in verse 22, they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And then after nailing him to the cross in verse 23, the guards offered him wine mixed with myrrh. Now, the myrrh would have helped ease the physical pain that Jesus was going to endure. But because Jesus wanted to fully identify with us and our humanity and our suffering, he didn't take it. Then as we read on in verses 24 through 32, and then down in verses 35 and 36, Mark provides us with six instances of In which Jesus was forsaken by humans. Six instances in which Jesus was verbally abused. Look with me. The first instance is in verse 24. It's humiliating in and of itself to be stripped naked and hung on a cross. But the guards, they want to step forward. They divided his garments among them. They treated it like a game. Casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And then the second instance in verse 26. Pilate, he mocks Jesus, telling his guards to read and hang an, ins- an inscription on Jesus' cross for everyone to see and for everyone to laugh at. And what did the inscription said, say? It said, the king of Jews. The third instance in verses 29 through 30. And those, even those who were simply passing by Jesus, they derided him, wagging their heads and saying, aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. The fourth instance in verses 31 and 32, the chief priests and the scribes, they jump on board mocking Jesus, saying to him, You saved others. You cannot save yourself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. The fifth instance in verse 32b, those who were crucified, those who were actually hanging on the cross next to him, what did they do? They mocked him. They reviled him. And then the sixth and last instance, and down at verses 35 and 36, And some of the bystanders, hearing it, said, Behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. Jesus is mocked six different times. Satan unleashes his minions, humans, from all walks of life to forsake him, And to deride Jesus, to tell him that he is worthless, powerless, to shame him. So often when we think of the passion of Christ on Calvary, we focus on his physical pain. And that physical pain was intense. But we forget that he also experienced incredible emotional pain because of people's mocking and the verbal abuse that he endured. I remember when I was getting my master's in counseling, we had a supervisor, and she came in and sat with us, and she said, kind of presented this scenario. Which is worse, to have your father come in and take a bat and beat you with the bat, or to have your father come in and tell you that you're ugly, that you're stupid, that you're not going to account for anything? Now, all of us... We were cocky counselors in, in learning back then. We were, we were like, of course, the bat. Getting hit by a bat's way worse than the words. And I'll never forget this. She looked at us and she said, every one of you are wrong. She's like, I've worked with clients for the past 25 years. It is far worse to be verbally assaulted by a stranger, by a friend, or a family member than it is to have someone take a bat and beat you. And we asked her, help us understand that why. Because if somebody takes a bat and they beat you, you're going to have a bruise. And you're going to be able to point to that bruise, and you're going to be able to point to that person and say, they did this to me. That bruise is a mark that will show everybody that you've been wounded. But when you've been verbally assaulted, when you've been mocked, you don't have any bruises And so you can't point to anything when you're trying to get people to believe that you've been assaulted. And so often, way too often, we don't believe those who tell us that they've been verbally assaulted and abused. Or we just say it's not that big of a deal. Grow up. Sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Verbal abuse can leave some of the most emotional wounds and pains far worse than any physical pain that a person can endure. And this is the plight that your Jesus endured. This is the shame that Hebrews 12, 2 says he took on at Golgotha. Jesus was forsaken by man. He endured the mockery. He experienced the emotional pain from his abusers. And as a result, the risen Lord identifies with us when we experience verbal abuse. 90% of students, grades 4th through 8th, experience bullying. Bullies, they single out kids who are fearful and lack assertiveness. And they humiliate them. They humiliate kids who are smaller, weaker, or more awkward. They make fun of them. They call them names. They insult them. And studies have shown that this leads to headaches, depression, anxiety, and yes, unfortunately, suicide. The victims of those uh, verbal abuse, they think to themselves that they're weird, that something's wrong with them. It leaves us feeling alone and wondering, does anyone care? The good news of this passage is that we have a Savior who understands the pain and heartache of verbal abuse. So when we're bullied, Jesus says, Me too. When we are laughed at, Jesus says, Me too. When we are ignored, Jesus says, Me too. When the flaming arrows of people's words rip our hearts out, Jesus says, me too. Jesus sympathizes with us. He understands our pain. And he moves toward us with compassion and mercy. So the first thing we see in our text this morning is human forsakenness. The second thing we see is God forsakenness. After being mocked by the guards, Pilate, those passing by, chief priests and scribes, the two thieves on the cross beside him, bystanders, things get even worse for Jesus as he experiences the forsakenness of the Father. Look at verses 33 and 34. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lima sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, quoting from the Psalms, asked God, Why have you forsaken me? Jesus is not being curious here. This is a declarative statement by Jesus and a statement that has been debated throughout history now some have suggested that Jesus is declaring a separation in the trinity but this can't be true because the three persons in the godhead the father the son and the holy spirit these three are one same in substance equal in power and in glory And so if Jesus was divided, separated from the Father, the substance then was divided, and then Jesus would then have ceased to be God. So what is Jesus declaring here? While on the cross, God withdrew all consciousness of his presence from Jesus. Let me repeat that. While on the cross... God withdrew all consciousness of his presence from Jesus. God the Father was present with Jesus, but Jesus was unable to see and experience God. For the first time, Jesus felt utterly alone in a moment in which he needed his Papa the most. He felt forsaken by the Father. And so, when we feel utterly alone and abandoned by God, Jesus says to us, me too. When we're in the midst of the most difficult of trials, and we pray and we pray only to hear silence, Jesus says to us, I understand. Andrew Peterson, after battling through a season of depression, where God's presence was so elusive, Andrew wrote a song called The Silence of God. He ends the song with these words. And the man of all sorrows, he never forgot. What sorrow is carried by the hearts that he brought? So when the questions dissolve into the silence of God, the aching may remain, but the breaking does not. The aching may remain, but the breaking does not. In the holy, lonesome echo of the silence of God. As Harrison mentioned several weeks ago, this side of heaven we're called to partake of Christ's suffering. Harrison said it's suffering than hope, pain and loss than triumph. For some of us this morning, we are experiencing the pain of mockery from friends, coworkers, or family members, maybe even over Christmas. For others of us, we feel like God has abandoned us. We cry out to him, but it feels like he's not there. Our text teaches us that Jesus endured the forsakenness of humans and the forsakenness of God so that he might sympathize with us and offer compassion to us. And while that in and of itself is a gift to us, because we know the end of the story because we know that jesus is raised from the dead we know that jesus defeated the bully he defeated satan and his minions who use words to shame and hurt others and as mark tells us when jesus was raised from the dead the veil separating god and man it was torn in two Therefore, those of us who profess faith in Christ, we will never, ever, ever, ever be forsaken by God. And then lastly, because Jesus has been raised from the dead, Jesus offers resurrection power to not only sympathize with us and to move toward us with compassion, but to bring healing To our emotional wounds when I was in my 20s I attended a a church a great evangelical church and this church was amazing because they welcomed it was a very safe place and they welcomed everybody from all different walks and uh, anybody that was hurting or wounded from other churches this church welcomed them people who had struggled with um, verbal abuse and physical abuse these people were welcomed and and loved and cared for, uh, we would comment that in many ways our church was like a hospital. And it was an incredible hospital where people would wrap their arms around them and, and pray for them and care for them and love them. But as years passed, the leadership began to realize that though we had done a, a wonderful job providing a safe place for people to come and to talk about their wounds and receive God's care for them, not all, but many never seemed to get well. It was as if, as a church body, we became so comfortable with suffering that people struggled to have joy and to laugh again. As a church, we had lost sight of how the resurrection not only offers comfort and hope in the midst of our suffering, it also can provide healing of our suffering all of our wounds of verbal abuse can be healed by jesus all our wounds of verbal abuse can be healed by jesus i can stand here and say from experience having suffered verbal abuse and gone through many months and months and years of therapy and having church folks come around me and love me and pray for me That healing can occur. The power of the gospel can change our lives and bring healing to our broken hearts and souls. It's a process. For some, it might happen overnight. For most of us, it's a long journey and process. But it can happen, and that is God's desire for us. Not just to remain wounded, to be broken in such a way that we can become a wounded healer. Michael made a plaque for me, and that plaque is sitting in my living room, and I see it every day. It says these words, For the darkest night will end, and the sun will rise. Suffering will find us. Jesus will comfort us. And like the sun we will rise. Christ will heal us and renew our joy. And like Jesus, we will still bear the scars, and some of us might walk with a limp, but there's a big difference between walking wounded and walking in brokenness. The former is stuck in suffering, and the latter is transformed in such a way that he or she Becomes a healer themselves. So where are you this morning? Are you struggling with the mockery of others? Are you experiencing the dark night of the soul and the silence of God? No matter where you are, our text reminds us that you have a Savior who identifies with you. You have a Savior who comforts you in the midst of your suffering. And you have a Savior that offers hope. And you have a risen Savior who offers you the power to turn even the darkest of night today.